Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. I'd like to come to pastor's prayer this morning and just lift up a prayer and I would just ask if you would just bow your head and quietly and silently pray as I pray out loud for us this morning. As dear Heavenly Father, you are so loving and so kind and your kindness is meant to lead us to repentance and may that be our heart's attitude this morning. We confess that there is not one good thing in ourselves that would commend us to you. We are born into sin with rebellious hearts towards your authority in person. Come now this morning to teach us the gospel. Impress upon our hearts through the Holy Spirit our need for you and the importance of Christ's work on our behalf. Let us immerse ourselves in the glorious message that we who were once lost are now found. Forgiven and declared righteous by grace and not by our works. And let us respond to your word and your work. Let us commit to sharing this wonderful gospel message to all that you bring in our paths. We pray this in the name of Jesus, we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Luke chapter 15. I want to give a little bit of review. We've been talking about the pursuit of peace as we look at the forgiving Father in Luke chapter 15, a very familiar passage of Scripture, one known as the parable of the prodigal son. But as we get into next week, we'll see that that's really misnamed. But in Luke chapter 15, we got to go back to the beginning of Luke 15, and we find that Jesus is being criticized for befriending the lost. And the Scripture tells us in that passage, of 1 and 2 of verse 15. It's not on the screen. It's just in your Bible. If you want to turn to it, you can join it. But I'll just read it. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. There was something about Jesus that they wanted to get close to. They wanted to hear His message. They wanted to get to know the man. They wanted to be touched uh, by His miracles and His healings. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now for you and I, we don't think much of that, but to the religious leaders, their hearts were very hardened towards the lost. To answer his critics, Jesus shared three parables to demonstrate God's desire to reconcile with sinners. Remember, the Apostle Paul tells us that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So that was the ministry of Jesus. And that's still, by the way, our message today and our ministry. And these parables are going to show how God will go to great lengths to reconcile a sinner to himself and that he actively searches, finds, and cares for the lost. The reason we're sharing this is because you and I are to share our faith. We're to have the same attitude, the same heart, the same mind as Christ. Again, now I share again in review Again, the key to understanding a parable is to remember that they are simple stories with a single point. They may have different or many applications, but there's a single point that he's going to. 
They consist of spiritual truths that are found in ordinary stories that most people would understand or be able to follow. They were usually illustrations taken from everyday life. They were a way of telling a story. Now, this is important. They are a way of telling a story that calls for a response on the part of the hearer. And so every time that you and I read a parable, we need to be looking, who is Jesus talking to? Who is listening? And what's the response that Jesus is calling for? And the key to understanding the parable then lies in discovering the original audience to whom they were speaking to. And so you and I must put our place as those hardened Pharisees who are listening to this story. In this case, the hearers were religious leaders who had hardened their heart against people. To them, people really didn't matter. And what Jesus shows, though, that he is a friend of sinners. Last week in the telling of the selfish son, the prodigal son, we learned that there were several things that would have been very shocking to the religious leaders as they listened to the story. And bear with me as we go through these quickly. The son's insistence that he received his inheritance now. That the fact that the father graciously gives him what he asks for. The fact that the son sold the property and then left town completely. His pursuit of pleasure comes to an abrupt halt and he finds himself looking for employment and envious of dirty animals. John MacArthur writes that everything about the demand that this boy made went against the grain of Hebrew society's core values. And so the religious leaders, as they were listening to this story, would have just been appalled at what was going on. Essentially, they realized that the young man is saying, I want my freedom, I want my fulfillment, and I want my fun. Sounds familiar, does it not? He said, I want out of the family. Give me my money. Let me leave. He didn't care about the family or its legacy as he sold it all to strangers and left. And he doesn't even care about the cost. He wanted immediate gratification. Eventually, his personal choices and providence leads him destitute. He has no money, no family, no prospects, and he's suffering in a distant land. And in this, we now come to the story of what I call the forgiving father. And this is in verse 17 through 24. You'll see it on the screen or in Luke 15. You can follow along in your scriptures. And Jesus continues this story when he says, But when he came to himself, speaking of this young man, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. This is a very familiar portion of the story. Verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began 
to celebrate. Father, help us to understand this passage. 2,000 years removed from its context, we, through the Holy Spirit and through the preservation of your word, can still understand these important truths. So, Father, open up our hearts. Lord, may your spirit have free reign. We may not quench them. Continue to still the winds that we may not be distracted from your word. And, Lord, may you be glorified in all that we do. And may we respond in what you've called us to this morning. Thank you for, again, this opportunity, this privilege, and the responsibility of opening your word together. We pray this in the name of your Son. Amen. I want to make some observations as I did last week. I want to first look at the selfish son's change of heart. The selfish son's change of heart. The first thing you're going to see that he eventually, in verse 17, he comes to his senses. The verse says, he came to himself. As he's there, he's feeding the pigs. As he's looking at their food and saying, boy, that food is actually better than the slop I'm eating. He finally came to a sentence and says, wait a second, what am I doing? Have you ever done that in your life? You're going through something in your life and you're going and going and all of a sudden it's just bringing you destruction. Life is not good. And all of a sudden you just, whoa, you just get it like a light bulb comes on. Well, that's what's happening here. He came to his senses and realized that things are not the way it should be. He had a way out. The second thing we see that he recognizes that he has sinned, and this is very important. In verse 18, he says, I know I'll do it. I'll rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. You see, he had tried to work himself out of his difficult situation to no avail. And he finally realizes that he's helpless and is in need of help. His personal choices and his providence had led him to this place of understanding. And he begins to formulate a plan to go back home. He recognizes what he's done wrong, not only against his father, but also against God. When he says, I've sinned not only against you, but also against heaven. He recognizes the error of his ways, so to speak. He recognizes the sin that has happened. And thirdly, the third observation is in 19 and verse 20a, when he humbles himself and he returns to his father. Now, this has got to be a difficult part. I don't know if you've ever done that. I've eaten lots of crow. Is that the term? Crow's not fun. You got to shove it down. You choke it. And tell you what, those feathers, they stick in your teeth and you got to get it all done. And we've all done it. I pray that you have. I wasn't always a humble man. I was a very arrogant, proud young man. I uh, had a very difficult time ever apologizing. Children change your life. Having children change the way you view life. And I think many of you can understand that, especially as they grow older. And I ate much humble pie in front of my children as I've had to go to my children and apologize. And can I analyze? This is Rob now. Apologize to your children and your wife when you make mistakes. When you sin against them, apologize. Now, as we go back here, we need to recognize that he decides to swallow his pride. We see his humility in action when he's ready to accept the consequences of his actions. See, that's the difference. We don't always want to accept the consequences. We want to say, I'm sorry, but yet never accept the consequence of our actions. And many times that's what keeps many of us from being humble and finding peace. He recognizes that he's forfeited any right to be called a son. And he determines to throw himself at the mercy of his father. And he's going to go to his father and ask to be hired. And the Greek there really says a day laborer. 
I won't even be like one of the slaves who lives with my father and serves him. I'll just be a day laborer. I'll get up every day and I'll go and see if he'll hire me. Recognizing some days he may have work and some days he may not. Now you can almost imagine what this young man was thinking. Put yourself in his place for just a moment. He had to be asking himself, as he's coming this plan, we always have a plan, right? How we're going to make things right. But just imagine, how would my father respond? I just told my father I wish he was dead. I just told my father to give me my money. And not only did that, I sold all his lands, and then I didn't even hang around. I took off for another country. How would my father respond? Have you ever asked that? Have you ever done something to your parents? I remember a time when I was young, and my dad had always told us, do not play in the front yard. We had a screen door that had a glass window in it. Don't play ball in the front yard. Well, we're playing with a football. And I'm sitting on the steps, and guess what's behind me? That thing. Well, I'm athletic. I can grab it. I can touch it. My brother throws, a, I think it was my brother, threw the ball, some reason, it slipped out of my hand and went past me, and it sailed right through that door. My dad wasn't home yet. I got the ball, picked it up, cleaned up everything. And then I went and grabbed a quilt, because it was a cold fall, fall day. And I sat on the side of my house until it got dusk. I was not going to go inside. He was going to have to come looking for me, because I knew what was going to happen when he got home. And I still can remember sitting outside on the side of that house. It's freezing out there. And I had this quilt around me just kind of sitting there waiting, wondering what he's going to say. I can imagine this young man's the same way. Would his father respond with anger and retaliation? Would he respond with the I told you so? Or you got what you deserve? Or maybe even rejection? He deserved every one of those, did he not? To the Pharisees who are listening to this story, this part of the story would have been the most enjoyable. This young, rebellious son is finally getting what he deserves. To their mind, this is the best part of the story. You can imagine them sitting on the edge of their seats, just waiting, tell me what's going to happen next. I am so glad. See, the father had every right, by law, to stone this child for his rebellion. We're talking killing. He had every right to put him in a pit and start stoning him. With glee, they would have responded to his plight. They were anticipating that the father would now seek his vengeance and punish his son. And let me ask you, before you say, whoa, have you not ever felt that way towards someone who did you wrong? I don't know, maybe you're holding that grudge today. Maybe you have that bitterness. Maybe revenge is a dish that's best served cold. I got it. You got to know me to know that these things come very difficult if I don't write them down. But as we see, are there not relationships in our family that are still that way? And we're waiting for someone to get what they deserve? That's what the Pharisees, this son deserves the worst and they're just ready to hear it. But all of a sudden, Jesus gives a twist. And in a parable, there's always a twist. And here's the twist. Because the Father does not respond the way the Pharisees are expecting. 
You see, now we're going to look at the shocking reaction. Last week they were shocked what the son was doing, the request. Now we're going to see the shocking reaction of the forgiving father. Three observations again. One, he has been looking and waiting for his son. Look at it. He says, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. We get the picture is that the father has been waiting at the end of the road looking for his son this determined time, however long it was. He was waiting and looking for his son. He knew his son. He knew his son was going to blow it. He knew that his son one day would return, maybe hoping, praying, desiring his son, and he saw him from a far, long way. And what you see here is that the father accepts him before a word is ever said. In other words, the father's already forgiven him. He's waiting for reconciliation. He's desiring that. John MacArthur observes that the father was truly eager to initiate forgiveness and reconciliation with his son. And I like how he worded that. Who's initiating it? Is it the son or the father? It's the father. The son came to a senses when he had nowhere else to go. The father has lots of options. One is, is just to disregard his son. But he's there at the end of the road every day looking a long way off. He's already forgiven him. He probably forgave him the day he gave him the money and tearfully wished him goodbye. He's ready to initiate that forgiveness. He's been looking and waiting for him for some time. The second observation that would have been shocking to the Pharisees is the fact that the father expresses intense emotion at the return of his younger son. Jesus tells us how the father loves and shows grace to his son. There's five action verbs there. It describes the wonderful love and grace of his father. He saw, he felt, he ran, he embraced, and he kissed his son. There is not a told you so. There was no browbeating. There was no lecture. There was just pure love and grace. How many of you ever responded to that? We never pass up an opportunity to say, I told you so, to our children or to other people when they do something that we warn them not to. We never give up an opportunity to just give them a lecture, right? We do it all the time. It's like, just spank me already. Just give it over with. The lecture's worse than the spanking. He doesn't do that. This is shocking to the Pharisees. And thirdly, he restores his younger sons, and then he celebrates his return. He restores them and then celebrates. They would not have understood this at all. Not only that, the father actually interrupted his son's prepared speech. He didn't even get to finish it. Look at that scripture. He says, I've done this. Remember him in the former passage, he said, I was going to say all this. He didn't even get all that out. He immediately begins to restore his son before his son has got his confession totally out. He doesn't have to give him his plan. And all that speaking, you can imagine with every step, the young man was walking towards home. Every one minute, oh, i got to say this, or how can I do this? How can I present it? How can I work myself back into my Father's graces? And once his Father sees him, that all goes away. Remember that. 
Because obviously there's some spiritual truth here that you and I need to connect. There's no intermediate time of proving his repentance, but total acceptance provision. He could say, I'll accept you as a day laborer and we'll see how it goes. Didn't do any of that. Immediately restores him. Thinking about meat. Bring the fatted calf. We got to remember meat at that time typically was not part of a meal. In first century Palestine, it was not something that people normally did. That was an animal that was kept. It was a special animal that was kept, fatted and ready for it. It was kept for special occasions like a special guest or religious holidays. And to the father, this is one of them. To the Pharisees, they think he ought to heal the, the young man. But he's ready to go for a substitute. From the father's point of view, his son was dead, is now alive. And this qualifies as a special occasion. We see the father's reaction in three ways as we read that scripture. In restoration, in reconciliation, and in rejoicing. Now all of this had been very shocking to the Pharisees. This would probably have made them more angry than what they heard about the son. This would have gotten the bile up in their throat. This would have got them really gritting their teeth. They themselves would have been ready to grab up stones and said, this story is ridiculous. They would have been outraged and befuddled by this father and his reaction to his son's return. He should have treated his son with contempt and harsh punishment. The fact that he acted with grace is totally foreign to their concept of justice. You see, we need to remember the hearers of this message, of this story. They did not understand the concept of grace, even though they should have at all things should have remembered or understood grace. The Pharisees had developed their own elaborate system of human tradition and man-made rules and useless ceremonies, all things that had added to the Mosaic law, clueless to how God had treated them with grace from generation to generation. They were not quick to offer it in return. And many of you are in the same way. We are quick to ask for forgiveness and we expect it right away, but many times we're slow to give it to someone else. Let me ask you, as a side note, is there someone that you need to forgive today that you're still holding a grudge? Is there someone you need to release, that you need to reconcile with? That's a burden that's too heavy to carry in your life. What's interesting about this story is that the selfish son becomes the sorrowful son, while the rejected father becomes the reconciling father. The Pharisees were not enjoying this story. The first part was bad enough, but the second one has set them on edge. There's, this is all totally wrong probably looking at Jesus and saying, this man from Nazareth, he has gone mad. But what you and I have to understand is Jesus is pointing out several things in this story with the interaction of the young man and the father. And I want to share with you, there's two spiritual truths that we need to understand from these two stories so far. The first truth that you and I need to understand that the son is an object lesson about true repentance. The son is a true object lesson about true repentance. You see, the selfish son had journeyed from arrogance 
to humility. What a very rough journey and road and a trip that cost him and his family a great deal. But he finally reached the end of the rope. What you and I have to understand is that sin never affects one person alone. Typically, sin affects those around us, does it not? Many of us could stand up if we had the courage to do so, would say, my sin has cost me this, and it's called ripples down my family and my loved ones, so on and so forth. And this young man, his sin broke apart his family here. It caused lots of damage, but yet he went from arrogance to humility. This young man finally came to a place of facing his true condition. See, the issue isn't so much is that his true condition was someone who was feeding pigs. His true condition was that which led him to make the decision to leave his father in the first place. He did this by accepting responsibility for his actions. He recognized what he did. He owned up to the guilt. Instead of denying or deflecting guilt, he owned up to it. And we live in a society today in which we deny guilt that exists. We say, no, it just doesn't exist. It's just some type of Judeo-Christian or some type of societal thing that we throw on people and you just need to get rid of it. Then we have others who deflect it. Well, my guilt isn't really my problem. It was because of my mom. It was because of my dad or the family I grew up or the economics or some type of thing like that. Some others will, will take and they'll medicate themselves to deal with their guilt through addictions and through pleasure experiments and entertaining themselves to death so they don't have to think and deal with it. But yet we have to realize that guilt is real. It is true. And guilt is devastating. And it is a burden that is so heavy that it will lead you just to despair. But he owns up to it. And owning up to our guilt is a great step towards repentance. And then he admits his utter helplessness to change his situation. He worked for a while doing everything he could to get himself out of his situation, but he finally came to the place and says, I just can't do it any longer. And then he turns to someone who can truly, truly help. And by doing these things, his heart is drawn back to his father. And that's so important. What we can deduce is that with repentance comes reconciliation. In the same way, without repentance, there will never be any reconciliation. One of the things I learned in one of the ministries that I worked at is that many times we discipline our children. And we discipline and punishment is a thin blue line. We never discipline out of anger, correct? All right, we got that? We discipline our children to help them develop their character and to draw them back to God and in essence to draw them back to us. Correct? But what we mean to understand is many times we'll discipline our children, whatever that may be, and then we think, well, it's one minute on the chair, two minutes, five minutes, maybe it's corporate punishment, whatever it may be, and then we say once they've served their sentence, their punishment, their discipline, we let it go. But let me give you this, parents. And, and this actually follows itself if you're a grandparent or actually in any other type of uh, way. Is discipline is not completed until there's repentance. 
Because what you need to do is when your child disobeys you, there's a breaking of the relationship. It needs to be reconciled. See, what we're always, we're about behavior modification and behavior control. What you're really looking is restoring the relationship. And that's why you get angry when you discipline. It's because they did something against you. They owe you. And you want your pound of flesh. No, 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 no. We discipline them and we're looking for reconciliation. One of the things the pastor taught me, children would write sentences, they would sit in a chair or whatever, or go to their room. The key was, is when I learned kids go to your room 10 minutes. You broke a rule, you make that clear. And then when they come back, have you learned anything? Are you ready to ask for forgiveness? Are you ready to repent? Now what happens for kids usually? Yeah, sorry, you know, type of thing. Guess what happens? Guess what happens? They go back to their room. Discipline is not yet finished. Would that change our penal system? You went out? Repent. Make restitution. That's what repentance is. Okay, that's a lot said, but here we go back. Repentance comes reconciliation. And that's what's happening with this son and this father. He comes from destitution to restoration. You see, you and I must understand this is what's important. Follow me with this. We must understand that you and I are that younger brother that we saw last week. Our condition is that we too are lost and alienated from the Father, deserving of nothing but justice. We deserve death. We deserve the stoning and the punishment. Dave Murray writes that in our lost condition, we cannot see, understand, or enter into the kingdom of God. That we cannot come to Jesus in our own strength. That we cannot produce any good spiritual fruit. That we cannot obey God. We cannot please God. We cannot know spiritual things and savingly confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In our condition, we cannot do that. But like the young man, we're working ourselves, trying to get ourselves out of that miry pit that we're in. And it's to no avail. So we're taking the sacraments, or we're doing good works, we're doing good deeds, we're trying to do all the things that make us better people, but yet in the end, we're still in the pig mire, but yet we do not even realize it. We haven't come to our senses. We still think life is dandy. John MacArthur writes that the road the prodigal son had chosen to follow turned out to be an expressway to destruction. And our friends and our family, and maybe you today, you're on that expressway. We have to realize that our sin is calculated, deliberate violation of a relationship that you and I have with our Creator. See, you say, and you've heard me say before, well, you know what, I don't have a problem with God. Him and I are doing okay, but let me tell you what, you may not have a problem with God, but finish it with me. God has a problem with who? Us. Who's that? Everyone that's born. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2, would you? This is too good for me to just say it. I need you to read it. I need you to underline this, highlight this in your Bible. In Ephesians 1 through 5, you and I see this great truth. And he says, and you were dead, speaking of us all. We were dead in the trespasses and sin. We were like the prodigal son in which you once walked following the course of this world, 
following the prince of the power of the air, speaking of Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That's the prodigal son. Like the rest of mankind, all of us fall under this. But here's the gospel. But, but, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Though rebellious by nature and self-seeking, James tells us that God gives more grace. Therefore, God says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I'm telling you today, I'm imploring you. Repentance is the road that leads to reconciliation. You too are in the path of the prodigal son if you have not yet been restored and reconciled to God. And that's the message you and I are to share as Christians. Let me share with you the second point. Not only is the Son an object of lesson about true repentance, the Father is an object lesson about true forgiveness. He's an object lesson about true forgiveness. You see, the forgiving Father has been sinned against and suffered the indignity of ingratitude and loss. Yet he never stopped looking and waiting for his son's return. He was willing, eager, and ready to reconcile with his son. You see, the father's forgiveness is so much different than you and I. And I have this many times as people come in for counseling. They're struggling, there's a burden, there's a debt that someone owes them. Some, they're angry with someone, someone has caused them shame. There's all sorts of things. Don't we struggle with that? But in this story, you see that the Father has no issue with that. And that's our Heavenly Father. Let me tell you, He says He takes our sin and He separates them as far as the east is from the west. And when does the east and the west meet? Never. Never. They're just parallel to each other. doesn't matter how far east you go, you're still going to be go- there's still the west that you haven't reached. And that's what He's saying here. It's like he says in Proverbs or in Psalms, he puts our sins in the deepest ocean. And we'll add that he puts up a no fishing sign. There's some of you that need to forgive like this. But the most important thing is you have a father who forgives you like that. You see, in this parable, God is the loving father who seeks reconciliation and is eager to search and find out who is lost. We see this in the first two parables that we didn't read last week. Uh, Landon read them for us this morning. We get a glimpse of the father. In the first, the parable is about a lost sheep. And it shows not only God's concern for the lost, but also his tender and protective care of those that belong to him. He loses one, but he still has 99. He leaves the 99 in care of someone, and he goes and he searches high and low for that sheep and finds him and brings him back. It's not the sheep that come to him. It's the sheep that's lost. He goes and finds it. The second, the parable is about the lost coin. A woman's lost a coin. It's worth a day's wage. She still has others, but what does she do? She grabs a light. She grabs a broom. She starts sweeping and cleaning and making sure that everything is where. She looks every place that she can. Finally finds it. This parable demonstrates God's effort 
to find the lost. And that's what's amazing. You see, you may be out there like the prodigal son. You've yet to come to your senses, but you have a God who's going through every effort, who's going through everything He can to show His concern, looking for you, waiting for you to return. Jesus described His mission in the Gospel of Luke as the Son of Man comes to seek and to save that which is lost, which was me at one time and which was you. Colossians chapter 2, turn to that if you would. Colossians chapter 2, I use this passage of Scripture again. This is one that I would underline. I won't read the whole passage that I love, but in Colossians chapter 2, look at verse 13. The Apostle Paul informs us of something that you and I need to grasp onto because this may be something that you're still struggling with because there's another idiom that we go to. Yes, you know, I have an easy time forgiving people, but I have a hard time forgiving myself. Is that not true? You and I have to look at ourselves in the morning, and many times that's very difficult. But look at this passage. The Apostle Paul informs us that you who were dead in your trespass and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive, very similar to Ephesians, together with Him, listen to this, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands. God has nothing to punish you with. If you've repented and if you've come and you've been restored, there is nothing that He will punish you. There is therefore what? No condemnation to those who in Christ. So please put a smile on your face, put a skip in your step, and lighten your hearts, realizing that this is truth. You can be forgiven. You can be restored. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have... Here's an old hymn. You know, we're working as a team to, to do more hymns. I am glad that churches are going to more hymns. But here's a great old hymn. I love this. I'm not going to sing it for you, but I'll just read it. It's called, Christ Receiveth Sinful Men. Listen to this verse. Sinners, Jesus will receive. Sound this word of grace to all, who the heavenly pathway leave, all who linger, all who fall. Come, and He will give you rest. Trust Him. For his word is plain. He will take the sinfulness. For Christ receiveth sinful men. Sing it o'er and o'er again. Christ receiveth sinful men. Make the message clear and plain. Christ receiveth sinful men. That's the forgiving Father. A Pharisee could never sing this song because they're too busy picking up a stone and ready to toss it. God says, come to me. Come to me. I'll love you. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here today, He'll take you. Repent and trust in Him. In the Church of England's homily on the nativity, listen to what it says. It says, before Christ coming in the world, all men universally in Adam were nothing else but wicked and crooked generation, 
rotten and corrupt trees, stony grounds full of brambles and briars, lost sheep, prodigal sons, naughty, unprofitable servants, and unrighteous steward, workers of iniquities, the brood of adders, blind guides, setting in darkness in the shadow of death, to be short nothing else but children of perdition and inheritors of hell fire. Not very, very good in the self-esteem business. But after Christ was once come down from heaven and had taken our frail nature upon him, he became the prodigal son. He became the unprofitable servant. He made all them that would receive him truly and believe his word good trees, good ground, fruitful and pleasant branches, children of light, citizens of heaven, sheep of his fold, members of his body, heirs of his kingdom, his true friends and brothers, sweet and lively bread, the elect and chosen people of God. Amen? But how does that determine for you and I today? How can you respond? Let me give you three things real quickly. First, because unless we know, these things are important, because unless we know how serious our sickness is, you and I will not see our urgent need of the good doctor, Jesus Christ. We'll be slow or refuse to call upon him for mercy and grace. Some of you are the prodigal son, still sleeping and living in the slop of a pigsty. You don't need to. You don't need to. Quit working. Grace alone, we sung it yesterday and last week, quit working your bones, your fingers to the bones, trying to atone. Love that phrase. You got a head full of rocks and a heart full of stuff. Stop. Realize, come to your senses this morning. Second, this is good news because we can now tell people to stop trying to do what they cannot do. Start trusting Christ alone for salvation. What a huge relief when we finally grasp the concept. I cannot, but Christ can and did. And thirdly, this is important because we can give God all the glory when we're saved by Him. This young man does not have anything to stand on. He cannot say, look at my persuasion of speech, or look at the good works that I was able to do to get myself back and reconciled with my father. He did nothing but turn back to his father and walk into his warm embrace. We realize that salvation is truly of the Lord. And if salvation is totally, completely, entirely Lord, then you and I realize that there is no credit to ourselves, but we give God all the glory for that. So where are you today? If you're still a prodigal son, would you come to Him? That Father is ready to forgive. And if you've already been forgiven, if you've been reconciled to a heavenly Father, then let's give glory. Let's reach out to our prodigal brother, our prodigal son, maybe a prodigal sister, co-worker, neighbor. Well, let's share with them. Let me pull you out. Are you ready to come to your senses? I'm going to ask with every head bowed, is that time to pause, consider, and pray? I'm going to ask you to say, what is it that God is calling you to do this morning? What is God calling you to do? Maybe you have a heart like the prodigal son, you want it all. You got it and you see the destruction it leads. It's time to turn toward, towards him. Maybe you've got the heart of the Pharisee. 
your heart is hardened. And you don't want anyone to come to Christ. You don't want to tell anyone. You think they should get what they deserve. If so, repent of that. For lost people matter to God. And they should matter to us. Because we too were such as they. Father, thank you for your word. And Father, we see ourselves in this passage very, very clearly. Make it very clear to any and all of us that we need you. Father, I thank you for your kindness. As Scripture says, for your kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. And may that be so. We direct all of our hearts and thoughts to you. Lord, may we reach out to those prodigal sons that we may meet this week. And may we share the good news is that there is a forgiving Father seeking to reconcile. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.